you did this weekend. It doesn't have to be exciting. Just what what did you do this weekend? What what was that? I pretty much stayed home and played a video game for like eight hours straight. Very cool. It was awesome. Which game? God of War. All right, so you played God of War for eight hours. <laughs> Fabulous. So, um, how many of you know what God of War is? How many of you know what video games are? How many of you know what a home is? How many of you know what an eight-hour stretch of time looks like? Okay, so all of those things are context around what he did. So if you're like me and you have no earthly idea what God of War is, could have been a board game, uh, tw you know, a hundred years from now somebody might look back and think, you know, oh, these primitive people back then in 2018 were actually thinking that there were gods that were doing all these wars. Uh, we Context is important because it helps us understand what is going on. So I want to read you a passage today um, that the context is something that uh, is really important and it's something that um, we don't fully, you know, Growing up, I never understood the context behind it, and so I think it's super important. Would somebody like to read for us? We go to the next slide. Genesis 15. And if you read, speak loudly, the AC is pretty loud. Mm -hmm. Genesis 15, the whole chapter. Extra donuts for whoever reads. <laughs> yes. Are you actually? Go for it. Anybody else want to pop in? Go ahead. Yep, the whole chapter. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring, offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these, all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nations they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. The sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared, and passing between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the 
canines, canazides, catamonides, pitides, parasites, graphites, amorites, canonides, gergesites, and jebusites. All right, so what in the world is going on here? Anybody have any ideas? And why is that a problem? Because he has no one to pass down his inheritance to what he does. Yes, and God, a couple of chapters previously, had told Abram, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And so Abram is thinking, all right, God, how are you going to make a great nation out of me if I can't even have one child? My estate's going to go to Eliezer. That's the, the head servant in his household, so that was the rule at the time. Uh, if, if you did not have any um, sons to... Uh, pass things on to, it would go to the first male um, uh, servant at that time. So, um, so what do we make of the animals that are cut in half and arranged across from each other in the smoking fire pot? It's a barbecue. A barbecue, that's okay. <laughs> Certainly a good thought. All right, so this is why context is so important. So if you say, uh, if I say to you, oh no, my car was stolen, somebody call the cops. Um, first of all, context has to, you have to know what a car is. So if we're talking to somebody um, 1800s or maybe 100 years from now, um, who, you know, cars don't exist anymore because we all levitate places, who knows? We have to understand what a car actually is. We have to understand what the police system is. All of these contexts, things that we take for granted every day because we understand the backstory. That's what's going on here. So God doesn't have to tell Abram to cut the animals in half and lay them aside. He just says, bring the animals, and Abram knows exactly what to do with them. Uh, so in this time, that's how you made a covenant with someone. Um, and a covenant is a promise. It's how you keep your word. Um, it's how you, you say, I... Um, we're making a deal. There's no, um, you know, paper. There's no lawyers. There's no legal way to go about this. And so your word is very important. And the way that you express that is by cutting in half animals, laying them across from each other, and then you walk down the middle. And as you walk down the middle, you say, "I so and so promise to do so and so," um, and and then you say, "And if I don't." may I be like these animals. And so you're, you're saying, if this doesn't happen to me, if I fail to hold up my end of the bargain, uh, I too will be cut in half and laid asunder there. So, um, so how does that help inform what's going on in this text here, now that we kind of understand the context and what's going on with these dead animals? This will be a long What is God promising Abraham? I'm going to make a kingdom for you. Uh -huh. And I'm going to give you your own son, so you don't have to give any of your to your servants. Yes. Um, he tells him um, to look towards the heaven and number the stars. And he says, so shall be your offspring. So this is, this is God's promise to him. Uh, but then he goes on and says, but it's not all sunshine and roses. Your descendants are actually going to be enslaved for 400 years before I rescue them. So he gives them, he tells him what's going to happen um, with the Exodus and uh, with the Israelites in Egypt. 
uh, but says, I will, I will come and I will rescue them, I will judge them, the nation that has, has done this to them. So God is, is promising, hey, even though I haven't done this yet, I promise that I will do this. Um, so what do you make about the fact that the smoking fire pot goes down the middle of the animals? What is that about? What do we think probably it represents? God saying that if he doesn't <clears throat> hold up his end of it, that he'll be like the animals. Yes, so this is the, the presence of God, which is often um, um, revealed as, as fire or something like flame, um, <laughs> is the smoking fire pot that's going down the middle of the animals and making this covenant. What is missing from this scenario? What doesn't happen here that we would expect would happen, knowing how covenants work? Think about a wedding. Abram doesn't do his part. Right. Abram does not walk down the center of the animals. So we have God saying, I promise to do these things. And Abram is asleep or very drowsy at this time and watching <coughs> God do this. So what... What do we make of that? What does that, what does that mean? That's exactly what's going on here. So God is saying, I will be faithful to you, Abram, whether you are faithful to me or not. Um, and I think that, um, one, that's that's really important um, because that's not, that's a giant leap forward. I mean, in, in this day and age, the gods were vengeful gods. Uh, they were very warlike. You had to do things to appease the gods. The gods did not do things to appease you. The gods did things if you appeased them, if you gave them enough stuff, if you sacrificed enough things, if you gave your children, if you gave your land, um, then the gods might be happy with you if they decided so, and they wouldn't send judgment or famine or war or all of these things. Uh, but gods did not appease people. Gods did not make promises to people and say, I will be faithful to you and I will give you all of these good things and you do not have to do anything. Um, so I also think that that is a huge theme in all of scripture too is one how different God is from other gods um, what God requires versus what other gods require and, and two um, I think scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation uh, is a story about a God who is constantly pursuing his people constantly saying I want to be in relationship with you I want to uphold my end of the covenant with you um, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people regardless of how many times we turn away, regardless of how many times we mess up, uh, regardless of how um, willfully uh, we turn against God or not. God always is saying, but I made a promise and I want to uphold my end of the bargain, whether you choose to or not. Um, what is, does anybody have any comments, any questions about that? What does that make you think of? How does that resonate with you? Do you agree? Do you disagree? The 
So how, how then does this speak into our life today? Um, how can this text um, about a scenario that happened you know, a few thousand years ago uh, about God and God's promise with a man called Abram, what does this matter to us today? Does it? Is there, is there anything that we can draw from this, any word that we can hear from this today? Or is it just an interesting story? Anybody else want to share? Yeah, for, for me, I thought of something similar. Um, you know, obviously we don't, we don't worship other gods as far as, you know, idols or anything, but, um, but there are other quasi-gods, I guess, that we have a tendency to worship. Um, nationalism, consumerism, religiosity, um, there's, there's a lot of things that expect something of us. So in our capitalistic, consumeristic society, if that becomes our God, then we are required to work hard. We're required to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. If we fail, it's because we didn't work hard enough. Uh, we have to worship the almighty dollar, uh, which means that we can never rest. We have to constantly be working for something else. Um, if, if we worship um, religion and following all the rules and doing all the right things, um, and God is not in the picture, um, then that requires that we constantly hustle to be better and better, and we're never good enough, and we have to keep this stringent list of rules, um, and, and it requires um, a lot from us, uh, physically and mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, and so God is saying, hey, leave those other gods behind that require all of these things that, that you just never know what's going to happen uh, with them that you can't trust um, trust their word. I I am your God. I will I will hold up my end of the covenant whether you do or not. I will be faithful. Even though you have not seen your son yet, even though you haven't seen your descendants yet, you can trust me. Yeah, I think there's something beautiful in this story of, I mean, there's nothing about Abraham that qualifies him for 
the next slide. Yeah. Um, so we have already answered um, some of these. Oh, uh, this first question I like. So what is the plain meaning of a text? Have you guys heard this term before? Oh, okay. Um, so, so with the, um, the restoration movement, there's this concept that there's this movement away from listening to a priest read scripture and tell you what scripture means. So everyone with the printing press, with um, with being able to mass produce paper, um, people have Bibles in their hands. And so they no longer have to go to a church and hear what the, um, the preacher or the pastor or the, um, the priest says is true about God's word. They can find it out for themselves. And so there's this big push to say, um, you can actually read this on your own. Um, what what does it mean for you in your life? Um, maybe the way that the, the priest has been reading it all this time has been um, kind of a, a twisting of it to um, to benefit the church and, and not maybe a, the best reading of this. Um, and so there's this concept, um, especially in our tradition, um, that anybody should be able to pick up the, the text and read it and understand the plain meaning of the text. That the text says what it means means what it says, there's a plain reading of the text. Does that make sense to everyone? Uh, now, I would strongly disagree with this. I think it's great that we all have Bibles. I do think that we should read our Bibles and we should uh, find out what things mean for ourselves and we should not take other people's words for it. And at the same time, with a book that was written a couple thousand years ago with events that happened uh, even older than that, as we see with this um, text in and of itself, there, sometimes there is not a plain meaning to the text because we don't have the context right. Uh, so we might read this text and say, I have no idea what the plain meaning is. The plain meaning is that there were some animals and there was a smoking fire pot, but we miss the part about it being a covenant. We miss the part about it, uh, about God being the only one that uh, is holding up his end of the bargain uh, because we don't understand the context around it. Um, and so what do you guys think about, about that? Um, do you agree that there's a plain meaning of the text? Do you think that... Uh, what does that mean to you? Do you guys want to turn and talk to your neighbors really quickly about that, and then we can share with the, the larger class? Make a friend. It's crazy that never heard that term before. Oh, no. Really? No, no. We, we, are, we are at the last generation of people that would have understood that. Interesting. Like, they don't, they move so far out of... But we're still so much living in a context that believes that. Oh yeah, but they don't know this what they they don't know that that's, that's what why they okay. like they like they, they they move in ways that reflect that. That reflect that but don't have they don't have the language of knowing that this is what you're doing. Gotcha. So is this is this a good thing to bring to their attention or is this Absolutely. Okay. 
you're doing great. Like the the hard thing is that you have to dive in there. Those guys. Yes. What's that? Don't do that. Sharing is caring. I asked you not to. Um, but this will get the, the people, them more talkative. They have to get more up. Because you got to remember, like, they, most of them spend all their day in the classroom, so they just are used to listening. They're, they're hearing everything you're saying. I don't want to hear what I have to say. I want to hear what they have to say. Yeah. And this will help them right here. You're doing great. We about 10.32. We'll take about 30 more seconds. Person, you're from three or four people. Did you raise your hand? No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can go for it. Great. Um, so, we kind of talked about like the problems with telling everyone that there's a plain text meaning and that they can open it up, like any part of the Bible, and understand it as well as someone who's maybe like studied it for their entire life. Um, is that like if you understand the context behind it, then, like, you can really, like, just open up the Bible and read it and, like, get, I think, like, a, a message that you can apply from your life. And maybe even if you don't really understand a lot of the context, you can kind of, like, look at it from, like, a high-up kind of point of view, like, not very detailed and just get something that you can apply to your life. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of hard to say, like, that the average person could open it up and, like, read about a covenant and, like, how there's, like, animals cut in half and just like walking in between them and like reciting words and think like, oh, that that's definitely something I can apply to my life if they don't know the context or like haven't really studied that right. time period. Absolutely. Anyone else? Did anyone disagree? And I will say on the other side of that, there's also, um, so, there are different ways to read scripture. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, it, it is important to know the context and to understand what things are saying. And uh, at the same time, sometimes it is helpful for me to practice Lectio Divina and read a scripture and not ask what the context was, but ask what what is God trying to speak to me through this uh, in this time. And I think we need a healthy balance of both ends of the spectrum. And we can't forget that, um, that spirit did not stop working once the Bible was written. Spirit is... Um, in this process of us reading it and discerning it together um, uh, as a church and as 
um, a body of people. And so I think that you know, even if we don't fully grasp uh, the meaning of things, spirit can still work through those things uh, to accomplish God's purpose. And I, I just uh, try not to put faith in my own understanding, in my own, um, uh, what I believe things are, um, and, and rely a lot more, I think, on, on spirit and what God uh, is, is doing in us as a community as we read and wrestle with these things together. Yes, sir. I mean, we, we said that there's a reading of the text, but it can't be the reading of the text. And, and then there are texts that, you know, love your neighbor. Pretty plain meaning. It is, but then there's still layers under that. Absolutely. That, um, Who's your neighbor? Exactly. That you have to have a more um, nuanced reading of scripture to be able to understand even more fully. Probably stealing from um, another week is uh, our context deeply affects our reading of the text. Yeah. So as rich Westerners, we're going to read it one way much differently than a street kid in Nairobi or a kid who was raised in, uh, in India. Yeah. Absolutely. Very, very true. Steve. I think it's one of the interesting things in our movement reading the plain meaning of the text is one of the reasons why we avoided certain sections of scripture. <laughs> yeah, we don't know what to do with it and we'll just pretend it's not there. And I think that there are times where the plain meaning of the text to us today means something entirely different than it might have meant in the context. And so we read it and say, there's no other way to read it. God said this, it's a plain reading of the text. And in that time, it meant something completely different. Um, and I'm thinking of passages in like First Timothy where it says, um, you know, women will be saved in childbearing. Uh, what is, there's a plain meaning to that. Uh, what do we do with that? If that is the, the truth. Um, so, all right, so we'll, we'll move on. Uh, we have a little bit of time to talk about the next topic, uh, which is Judges 3, 12 through 30. Um, if you want to flip there, uh, I'll just kind of break down what's happening. So uh, in the book of Judges, basically, it's just telling us about what happened uh, after they move into, um, into the land that God has given them, um, after, um, after the exodus, uh, all of this, God promises them this land, they move into this land. Uh, this is pre-kings, so they do not have kings, they have judges that God appoints, um, and some of uh, the judges are good judges, some of the judges are bad judges, and we just see this cycle uh, that's happening of uh, violence and, um, and fighting and uh, just a lot of bad stuff happening, and then um, a judge will come in and kind of clean things up, and then... Um, you know that'll last for a minute and then things will start to get bad again and then another judge will come in and kind of clean things up um, and it's just this this cycle so here in this passage we have um, a guy named Ehud um, and Ehud um, what oh I guess I should actually turn in um, uh, well I'm just gonna basically summarize it I'm not going to get into it we don't have enough enough time for that so um, so Ehud um, is left-handed, um, and that is important in this, that the Bible does not typically mention details like this. We don't find out a lot about people's hair color or how tall they are or things like that, unless it's for a purpose. And so there's this bad king, Eglon, um, and what you need to know about Eglon is that he is the king of Moab, and he is a terrible, terrible dude. 
Uh, and then there's Ehud. And Ehud is an Israelite. He's a righteous guy, and he's a left-handed. Uh, so he straps um, a, a dagger or a sword to his right thigh, um, whereas most people who are left-handed would put it here so they can easily grab it. So he goes in to talk to, um, to this, this ruse and says, I'm, I have a message. I'm going to go in and talk to him. Um, and then he says that he needs to talk to him alone, so the people leave. Um, and then uh, Ehud uh, grabs the dagger from his right thigh and he sticks it in King Eglon uh, and King Eglon is so rotund uh, that his fat actually eats the dagger and it is you know more it's absorbed into him so fun interesting weird Who's read little story, story? Judges 3 <laughs> how many of you read it yeah. before people you're missing out there's some fun stuff this in is scripture. in the bible fun stuff the sword wrapped around <laughs> his fat yes sucked it in pulled it in He's lucky his hand got away. You thought, King, you so. thought Game of Thrones was interesting. <laughs> yes. Nothing on judges. <laughs> so, so why it's important to know he's left-handed is, you know, when when the bodyguards of the king are searching him, they're searching, you know, where a normal right-handed person would keep a sword. There's not a sword there. Yep, he can go in. He's able to get away with this because of his unique abilities. Um, so, so the context of this story only makes sense. Uh, oh, and then so we have so Ehud. Um, uh, escapes, um, and then there's this this war, and they kill 10,000 of the Moabites, and uh, Eglon was the king of Moab's. All the strong, able-bodied men, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. And so we have this cycle of, um, of bad things are happening, and then a judge comes in and kind of saves the day, and then there's peace, and this time there's peace for 80 years. But this piece comes at the hand of 10,000 deaths of strong, able-bodied men of Moab. Um, and so I think the context of this, um, it's hard to take this story out of the larger context of the entire book of Judges, which is this cycle of, uh, of humanity and the way that humans uh, sort of fall and how God is constantly coming back in and saying, okay, I'm going to raise up another judge, and we're going to fix this, and I'm going to do this, and we're going to fix this. And so, again, um, God is doing all of the work. Um, humanity is kind of falling into these patterns of selfishness and, um, and power struggles and authority and things like that. And so the, the context of this is not necessarily, you know, we can read the story and understand what's going on, but the context is the entire book of Judges that we need to read it in, and then the entire uh, canon of the, the Old Testament to say, okay, this is how God always works. Um, God hears his people when they cry. God attempts to save them. Um, they are faithful to him for a little while, and then they fall away, and it's this cycle. And God stays faithful throughout that cycle. God continues to come in. He never says, I'm tired of these people. They never do things the way they're supposed to. I'm just going to give up on them. Um, he's constantly um, constantly coming in and helping them. Um, and, and there are good judges and good people that can affect good positive change for for long stretches of time like 80 years that's a big that's a big deal so um so next slide um so how can we faithfully wrestle with troublesome text so it is troublesome that in this case 
uh, it appears like God is saying, hey, in order to do, in order to have peace, in order to uh, defeat the Moabites, we need to kill 10,000 men, um, and then your land can have peace for a little while. Um, so I think what I mean by faithfully wrestle with is to not say, eh, that was a story written a few thousand years ago. We don't actually have to believe it. I think faithfully wrestle with means we need to engage it. We need to understand what's going on um, and, and consider how we might hear this text today. So turn to your neighbor. Uh, if you see somebody that maybe doesn't have somebody they're chatting with, pull them in with your group. You get in groups of four or five, however many you want. And, um, and let's talk about um, how can we faithfully wrestle with this, what word we might need to hear from this text today. Ready, break. Chat about judges, and then let's go go around and ask our okay. members instead of just <laughs> force them into dialogue. Well, it is ten forty-five. Evil or people who turned away from him, like 
when he sent the flood and left Noah in the ark to save him and his family, or the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, like, there's multiple instances of that happening, and I don't know if there's, like, I don't know if I necessarily know how to comprehend that, but I just see, like, a trend there, mm-hmm. and so it's hard to figure out what that trend means and how it is a little bit about how it's just confusing how a lot of this stuff happens like we see all throughout the old testament that there are wars and people die and god commands the israelites to kill people and then there are times where god allows other people to kill the israelites right um and it's just i mean there's no clear explanation like is it a punishment because they were unfaithful is it because of the free will of humans that god grants us and allows us so we can pursue him actively but also that allows other people to not pursue it. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a lot of factors that we might not understand. And it's easy to just kind of dismiss that as, oh, I just don't get it, so I don't have to worry about it. I'll ask God when I get to heaven. But it is something that we definitely need to be talking about and looking into and trying to comprehend at least enough so that way we don't just dismiss it and ignore it because it is part of the Bible and it's there for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. And it's part of human history too. This is wars and death and killing people isn't something that just happened a long time ago it's happening today so how do we wrestle with what that speaks to us today uh this group in the back okay um i mean kind of talked about how we don't really totally know the context of the story like we kind of have the plain text we were talking about earlier um but we didn't really know what we could learn from it so yeah that's really what we're talking about yeah thank you for that um one of these groups back here um, I, I noticed that the, the a lot of these stories are not about ethics at all. Um, <laughs> that that Moses and Jacob and Joshua are all liars, like, <laughs> uh, really, really, really habitually. And um, what seems to be the focus of the stories is that unique and different and clever people can bring down the obvious systems of power. Oh. Those are the people who went out. It's not about the fact that they're ethical, it's about something about their uniqueness and differentness was the thing that they Interesting. That's a great point. Um, yeah, so so scripture, though there are certainly ethical claims in scripture, not every single passage in scripture is meant to be uh, an ethical claim. So I think that's an important point. Uh, this group? to 
God is through the people around you. Um, and so, um, so we take out the spiritual. It has to be concrete. It has to be here. Um, and so um, I appreciate your comments. I appreciate your thoughts. Um, I think one of the important takeaways from this is um, scripture happens in context. Uh, there's the context that it was written in, um, and there's also the context that we're reading it in today, and it's important to be aware of both of those things. Uh, scripture needs to be read in community so we can uh, wrestle with our context uh, faithfully and so we can get a better understanding of what that context was. And sometimes if we don't understand what scripture is saying uh, or it's a difficult text or something to wrestle with, uh, that's probably an indication that maybe we need to do some digging in it. If, uh, if it seems a little weird, if it seems a little off, that's instead of glossing over it, probably the best way to handle that is to dig deep and to say, okay, I don't get this what's going on here and investigate a little bit more to find out interesting things like covenant and like God is the one that upholds the covenant and not Abraham. And so um, when you see something that confuses you, um, that's your cue to um, to do a little dig, uh, deeper digging. And you yeah. have a great community uh, here that's willing to, to walk with you through that. So uh, thank you all for coming today. It was a pleasure uh, hearing your wonderful thoughts and comments. And we'll see you guys next week.